Joan in our prayers today. And uh, uh, for those of you who don't know, Pastor John was pastor here from 2002 to 2010, so uh, a very uh, treasured former pastor uh, here at Trinity too. Also going on today, uh, like I said there's a lot to celebrate. Um, Madison Church, which is our, our neighbors downstairs, they're celebrating their eighth anniversary as a congregation. And they, their plan was to have a block party outside. I haven't heard the update on that yet. Um, but you might see them starting to set up as we're departing for that. Uh, but they want to extend an invitation to any Trinity members who want to stick around for some food and, and some celebration. So if you're able, uh, stick around. Uh, there's several other announcements in your bulletin that I'll just invite you to read over. An update to our prayers. Um, we're praying for uh, the family of Keith Hackett, especially Pat Hackett. Keith passed away this week, uh, this past week, and so please keep um, Pat and her family in your prayers. And they wanted me to share that there is a celebration of life coming up on October 9th at the Esquire Club um, from 2 to 5. You can find Keith's obituary online or you can talk to me and I'll share more information about that. And then finally, I just want to take a moment uh, since today is September 11th and I know this is a significant anniversary of, of uh, that tragedy as well and so I thought we'd begin with a short prayer uh, on the anniversary of September 11th. Please pray with me. O oh God, our hope and refuge, in our distress, we come quickly to you. The shock and horror of that tragic day may have subsided, replaced now with an emptiness or a longing for what was lost. We come remembering those who lost their lives in New York, Washington, D.C., and Pennsylvania. We come remembering and we come in hope, not in ourselves, but in you. We are reminded that our security is in you. And in commemoration of this tragedy, we give thanks for your presence in our time of need. We seek to worship you in spirit and truth, our guide and our guardian. Amen. Begin our service with our prelude music.
Please stand as you are able and face the baptismal font. Blessed be the Holy Trinity, one God, who is eager to forgive and who loves us beyond our days. Amen. Dear friends, let us acknowledge our failure to love this world as Jesus does. God of mercy and forgiveness, we confess that sin still has a hold on us. We have harmed your good creation. We have failed to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with you. Turn us in a new direction. Show us the path that leads to life. Be our refuge and strength on the journey through Jesus Christ, our Redeemer and friend. Amen. Beloved of God, your sins are forgiven, and you are made whole. God points the way to new life in Christ, who meets us on the road. Journey now in God's abiding love through the power of the Holy Spirit. Grace our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Let us pray. O God, overflowing with mercy and compassion, you lead back to yourself all those who go astray. Preserve your people in your loving care that we may reject whatever is contrary to you and may follow all things that sustain our life in Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Please be seated.
Our first reading is from the book of Exodus, the 32nd chapter. The Lord said to Moses, go down at once. Your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have acted perversely. They have been quick to turn aside from the way that I commanded them. They have cast for themselves an image of a calf and have worshiped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are our gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, how stiff-necked they are. Now let me alone so that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them and of you I will make a great nation. But Moses implored the Lord God, his God, and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn against hot, your, against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath, change your mind, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, how you swore to them by your own self, saying to them, I will multiply your descendants like the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised, I will give your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord changed his mind about the disaster that he planned to bring to his people. Word of God, word of life.
second reading comes from 1 Timothy, the first chapter. I am grateful to Christ Jesus our Lord, who has strengthened me, because he judged me faithful and appointed me to his service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a man of violence. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But for that very reason I received mercy, so that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display the utmost patience making me an example to those who would come to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Word of God, word of life. Holy Gospel according to Luke, the 15th chapter. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Which one of you having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents that over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance? Or what woman, have, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? 
When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. God's amazing grace be with you, friends, in the name of Jesus. Amen. The 15th chapter of Luke is one of those parts of Scripture I'd stake my life on, one of my favorite pieces of the Bible. Over and over again, it has transformed my understanding of who God is and what it means to live in grace. I remember in high school, I had this t-shirt uh, from the band Lost and Found. They're a Lutheran Christian band. Uh, I heard them play at the National Youth Gathering, and they were selling some of their merchandise there. And the shirt said, uh, Lost and Found is for lovers, and the O in lovers was a little heart. And on the inside, it said, Luke 15. Because the band said that it was that chapter that taught them what the love of God means. And I wore that shirt a lot. I was talking to a pastor who preached shortly after September 11th. I can't remember if he said it was the Sunday afterwards, but he remembers this text coming up not too long after that and the image of the first responders running in and out of the building to find the lost has always been tied for him to this image of the shepherd looking for the lost one. The full chapter of Luke here contains three parables of Jesus. There's the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, better known as the prodigal son, parable of the prodigal son. But today we only get the first two parables, the lost sheep and the lost coins. The drama that precipitates the telling of these stories is again about food, and maybe we should not be surprised. Jesus is always at a meal or on his way to a meal, and the people he eats with seems to ruffle some feathers. The drama is about the kind of company that Jesus keeps, the people with whom he associates, the people he seems to accept or condone. As the story moves along in the gospel, we see that the Jesus movement isn't attracting the best and the brightest necessarily, the most powerful, Jesus seems to be climbing down the social ladder, and the question is how low can he go? Jesus seems to be attracting those that no one else wants, the people others avoid. The text says, now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to him. Sinners here doesn't refer generally to all people as we might use it. We might say something like, we are all sinners and have fallen short of the glory of God. But in Luke's gospel, he's talking about a social reality, a category and class of people who were public, recognizable sinners. This wasn't just someone's opinion about another's lifestyle. These were people whose break with the Mosaic law was known to everyone. Think of someone wearing a visible ankle bracelet or something similar in our time. This group would be in contrast to the properly observant or righteous. 
In other words, if we were to plop down in the time and culture of Jesus, we wouldn't need help figuring out who was inside and outside. That would be pretty clear. This was well known, and Jesus was spending most of his time with these folks, the people that others were avoiding. Likewise, tax collectors were not the kind of bureaucrats that we might picture. There were not checks and balances that we might take for granted. In ancient Palestine, under Roman occupation, tax collectors were traitors in a way. They were colluders with a foreign occupying force. So there was both a sense of ceremonial impurity for tax collectors because they came into regular contact with Gentiles, and there was an element of treason or betrayal. And tax collectors were, it sounds uh, reasonably, had this uh, reputation for dishonesty and corruption. They would often take more than they needed to collect in order to pad their own pockets. So maybe we can understand that when these groups of people that other people are avoiding start following Jesus around, that Jesus starts to get some criticism for eating with tax collectors and sinners. He was attracting the wrong sort of crowd. Their presence likely made respectable people uncomfortable. It was driving off the sort of people with resources and reputations and connections that you might want in a fledgling movement. It's as if wherever Jesus goes, the riffraff seem to come with him, and maybe we can hear people saying, well, there goes the neighborhood. And what's worse, not only does Jesus seem to draw these people to himself, he also seems to condone their lifestyle by eating at their tables and inviting them to sit with him. He welcomes sinners, and he eats with him, eats with them. That's what's really bothering the leaders. It's hard to overstate the importance of table fellowship in the ancient world, in a world so reliant on hospitality. In the ministry of Jesus and the life of the early church, we again and again see examples of table fellowship being an issue. I don't think any of us, like if we were to uh, criticize a public official, I don't think we would criticize them necessarily for their table manners. I don't think any of us are going to go to a town hall and the first question we're going to ask, well, who do you sit down with and eat? Yeah, maybe we should try it, but I don't think we typically do that. But in the time and place of Jesus, meal customs were identifying marks of a group, whether philosophical or religious. The commentator Fred Craddock shares that there was even a Near Eastern proverb that said, I saw them eating and I knew who they were. To share a meal with someone was to express acceptance and welcome. It was a way to say you and I are in the same group if we share a meal together. And we have to keep in mind that many of these table practices were one way that an oppressed and occupied Jewish people tried to hold on to their identity among foreign and hostile influences. In many ways, strict food practices were a way to resist Roman imperialism, imperialism. So you can imagine some of the alarm and even offense when this popular te teacher, Jesus, comes welcoming just anyone and eating with them. I share all this because this is the context of the three stories. Jesus is responding to a controversy about sharing a meal. The Pharisees and scribes are grumbling, the text says, and they say, 
this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus is blurring the lines at best, and at worst, he's hoping to dilute the identity of an occupied nation. Jesus responds to this grumbling, to this accusation with stories. Which one of you, having 100 sheep and losing one, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost? Or, what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? The funny thing here is that the answer to Jesus' rhetorical question is that no one would do this. What wise shepherd would leave 99 sheep in the wilderness in order to go and find one? Isn't that risking the whole flock? And what woman, after finding a coin, even a coin worth you know, a month's wages, would throw a party for her friends and her family after finding a coin in the couch cushions? Jesus asks these questions in a rhetorical, funny way. He's going over the top to prove a point. The point being that no one is disposable to God, that no person is beyond God's reach, beyond God's redemption. And our God has an unyielding love for the lost one, for the dead one, for the one that is excluded. Recently, I received a, a message from a cousin of mine who is raising her family uh, in the Bay Area of California. Uh, because of the location of their house and a few other factors, they've ended up sending their kids to a, a local religious school, uh, Christian school in particular. And she said most of the time they're very pleased with the education their kids are getting. But every once in a while, they'll receive a, kind of a weird or harsh message about faith. And she asked me if I had any, any advice for a recent situation involving a, friend's, uh, a friend of one of her kids, uh, but was upsetting to her children. You see, one of her kid's friends came home in tears because one of the teachers had said that her friend's dad was going to hell or wasn't going to go to heaven. Their dad considers himself an agnostic, so the teacher said he wouldn't be in heaven if that's what he continued to believe. So my cousin was trying to process this with her kids and was wondering if I had any ideas. And at first I wasn't exactly sure what to say. Uh, I told her probably the best thing is just to listen and be a caring adult who uh, you know, listens to their, their, to their worries and concerns and help them think through this. But then I was preparing this sermon on Luke 15 as well. And so I remembered about this God who is unyielding about the lost one. You see, I'm always suspicious of those who have such certainty about who is in and who is out. Where did they get that from? The audacity to, to think that they know. I try as best I can to stick to what I do know. I actually, you know, know quite little about what heaven will be like or who will be there because I've never died before. And also, I'm not God. But I do know that the God that we meet in Jesus Christ is the one who would leave the 99 to go and find the one. 
that the God we have is like a woman searching high and low for the one coin that has gone lost, lighting the lamp, sweeping the house. That is the God we have and the God we worship, the God who meets us here today. So if that's the kind of God that we are dealing with, who am I to say that a child's dad won't be there? Who am I to say who is lost and who is found? Who is in and who is out? This text, if nothing else, should introduce some humility that we have a God who is always on the lookout for the lost, that we may not know who God is seeking, that it is God, not us, who decides that. And we have a God who seeks and finds and loves the lost, period. In the end, we trust that all of us will be in God's loving hands one way or another. And if we didn't have that grace, we would all be lost in the wilderness. If we can't share that news in a way that is hopeful and sounds like good news, then what are we doing here today? In the end, we are in God's loving hands, and that is good news. Whether you feel lost or found today, and I think it depends on the day for many of us, here's the good news. My dear siblings, God longs to find you, is on the lookout for you, and brings you home. God's amazing grace is for you and for all people, and all are welcome at Christ's table. The Jesus who ate with sinners then longs to eat with sinners again today, is on the lookout for us. A feast of joy and grace, a party where all are invited, awaits us. Amen.
Your creation groans as it suffers the impacts of pollution and lack of care. As the seasons change, renew in us the will to protect plants, animals, and habitats. Bless us with bountiful harvests that all may share. God of grace, hear For the nations and those in authority, for the elected leaders of our towns, states, and country, and for international organizations. Grant wisdom to those who govern and raise up citizens who make decisions in the best interest of their neighbors. God of grace, your world is shattered and the nations rage. Remember us in your mercy. Teach wisdom to our elected leaders so that we know peace in our world, peace in our homes, and peace in our hearts. God of grace, your children wander homeless and the hungry cry for bread. Seek out those who are lost or lonely, anxious or depressed or struggling with addiction or illness. Provide for those in any need, especially Jane, Jackie, Sharon, Marianne, Gloria, and all those we name now, aloud or silently. God of grace, Your work is done in this congregation with our hands, feet, voices, minds, and hearts. Build up the ministries of this community as we serve our neighbors and welcome the stranger in your name. We give you thanks for our director of music, Wendy Ward, and her many gifts and contributions to our life together. God of grace, your blessed saints who have died now rest in your presence. Give us thankful hearts for those who have been examples of faith in our lives and receive us with joy when we come to share eternal life with you. We lift up our prayers for the family of Keith Hackett. God of grace, gathered together in the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit, gracious God, we offer these and all our prayers to you, through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always. And also with you. Be sure a sign of peace.
Gracious God, in your great love you richly provide for our needs. Make of these gifts a banquet of blessing, and make us ready to share with all in need. Through Jesus Christ, who sets a table for all. Amen. The Lord be with you. Also with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. 
It is indeed right, our duty and our joy, that we should all times and all places give thanks and praise to you, almighty God, to our Lord Jesus Christ, who on this day overcame death and the grave and by his glorious resurrection opened thus to us the way of everlasting life. And so with all the choirs of angels, with the church on earth and the host of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Holy God, our bread of life, our table and our food, you created a world in which all might be satisfied by your abundance. You dined with Abraham and Sarah, promising them life, and fed your people Israel with manna from heaven. You sent your son to eat with sinners and to become food for the world. On the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. It's my body, given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. Again, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, gave for all to drink, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this for the remembrance of me. Remembering, therefore, his life given for us and his rising from the grave, we await his coming again to share with us the everlasting feast. By your spirit, nurture and sustain us with this meal. Strengthen us to serve all in hunger and want. And by this bread and cup, make us the body of your Son. Through him, all glory and honor is yours, Almighty Father, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church, both now and forever. Amen. We pray together as Jesus taught his friends to pray. Eternal Spirit, Earth Maker, Pain Bearer, Life Giver, Source of all that is and that shall be, Father and Mother of us all, Loving God in whom is heaven, 
the hallowing of your name echo through the universe. The way of your justice be followed by all the peoples of the world. Your heavenly will be done by all created beings. Your commonwealth of peace and freedom sustain our hope and come on earth. With the bread that we need for today, feed us. In the hurts we absorb from one another, forgive us. In times of temptation and test, strengthen us. From trials too great to endure, spare us. From the grip of all that is evil, free us. For you reign in the glory of the power that is love, now and forever. Please be seated as we share some instructions for communion. Communion today, you'll go to the side aisles and come forward. And at the front of the two side aisles, there are tables where you will pick up an empty cup. You'll bring your empty cup uh, to the railing where it will be filled with wine and where you will receive bread. If you need or desire gluten-free or grape juice, those are also at these two side tables. Just grab them on your way up and bring them to the railing. After you've communed at the railing, you'll return down the center aisle and place your empty cup in the bowl by the center aisle. If it hasn't been clear so far, we want to make it explicit that all are welcome to commune with us today. Friends, guests, visitors are, are all welcome at the table. Uh, Jesus longs to eat with all of us, with all sinners, and all are welcome at Christ's table. We extend our uh, communion to those who are joining us online and by phone. We are glad you are with us in the one body of, body of Christ this morning. All is now ready. Receive this invitation to communion. Christ invites you to this table. Come, taste and see.
Please stand as you are able. May the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ strengthen, keep, and unite us now and forever. Amen. Let us pray. God of the abundant table, you have refreshed our hearts in this meal with bread for the journey. Give us your grace on the road that we might serve our neighbors with joy for the sake of Jesus Christ our Lord. Reminder to join us downstairs to uh, celebrate Wendy and uh, to eat some cake. And with that, receive this blessing. God, who gives life to all things and frees us from despair, bless you with truth and peace. And may the Holy Trinity, one God, guide you always in faith, hope, and love. Amen. Amen. The mission of Trinity Lutheran Church is to proclaim and celebrate the love of Jesus Christ, to live as God's servants in the world, and to, bring, to be a caring and healing community. Go in peace with Christ beside you. <laughs>